up our series on vision, uh, our future reality. I talked about the fact that for those that have not been here the last few weeks, uh, vision is really a glimpse of our future reality. What, what is possible in God for our life? To have a, a, a heavenly vision is to see what is possible through, through God for our life. And so today I want to talk about living uh, for the grand finale, if you will, that we are to live for the grand finale. And if you think about it, from that standpoint, every, every moment counts for our grand finale. It's kind of one of those things where we think about salvation or sanctification. You know, we're saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. Jesus died on the cross, and, and we're born again. We're saved through his grace. But yet we're, we're, we're dealing with this carnal man that we have that wants to go a different direction than God wants us to go. And so, in a sense, we're consistently being saved from ourselves. Come on, somebody. And then the, there's a day where we won't contend with this carnal nature any longer. Uh, we'll, we'll lay this down, either that we, we die and, and, and we're in the grave and awaiting Jesus' return, and the dead in Christ get to rise first, Right? Uh, but those who remain will be caught up. In a little bit here, we'll see a, another picture of this. But, but that, that we're living this life and moving towards that grand finale. But to arrive at that grand finale of hearing, enter in thou good and faithful servant, when we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and we think about that grand finale, um, were we living for the grand finale in this saved life that we have because of the grace of God? And I submit to you that that to do that is to have vision. Listen to what Proverbs 29 and 18 says. It says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. Listen to that again, where there is no prophetic vision. What is prophecy? Ability to see the future. Our future reality is found in prophecy, meaning that what God speaks to us by his spirit, right, is a vision that, that, that gives us the ability to arrive where God wants us to be. In other words, it's not what I see in the natural, but it's what I see in the spiritual that allows me to arrive where God intends me to be. If I don't have prophetic vision, another translation says revelation. If I don't have a revelation of God in my life, I have no hope of arriving. The grand finale, the final end for me, doesn't look the way God intends it to look if I can't see it here and now and walk toward it. And that, by the way, is not something that you're doing or able to do in the natural. It's something that you need the supernatural. You need the power of God. You need the spirit of God to speak to you. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father. You've got to have that word of God. You've got to have that prophetic vision to be able to arrive where God intends you to arrive in your life. Amen. Over the last four weeks, we've talked about a, a pursuit of our future reality in that pursuit, a pursuit of God, our relationship with others. What's that future reality look like? Um, prosperity. You know, I, I talked about, remember that, uh, to push us forward, that God wants to push us forward, right? That, that, that prophetic vision gives us that push we need, that, that divine power of the Holy Spirit in our life working, pushes us into the future reality God has for us. It doesn't keep us, you know, if you will, wandering in circles in our, our carnal nature, pursuing only the things of this life, but rather we see that glimpse 
of the supernatural things that God wants to do. And of course, we visited uh, the idea of our future reality concerning miracles, to have faith for miracles, to believe that God can do miracles in our life. Amen? And so um, I, I challenge you, have a prophetic vision. What is prophecy? Really, it's God speaking to man through man. And when we see what is scripture for the most part, when you're reading scripture, uh, the, all these prophecies, remember what I said a, a couple weeks ago about how many promises, can anybody tell me how many promises there are in scripture to the believer? Over 8,000 promises. Anybody go back and start researching that? You need to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer, right? If I tell you there's over 8,000 promises in God's scripture to you, that doesn't motivate you to go, let me start, you know, let me start searching this out. Go search those out. Find out what the promises of God. Why? Because without prophetic vision, you cast off restraint. If you don't know what God wants for your life, if you don't see that, that he has a, uh, remember we talked about that intended end, that he doesn't have thoughts of evil, but thoughts of good for your life. And if you know that, go and discover what are those thoughts of good? What are the promises, the thoughts of good that God has for me? So you can get a glimpse, a prophetic vision for what your future reality is meant to be. You're dealing with sickness in your body? Is your future reality that God wants to heal you? Because my, my Bible tells me that by the stripes of Jesus Christ, you are healed. Amen? You hear where I'm coming from, saints? So grand finale. Let's look at the, uh, the uh, definition for it. It's, it's a real long one. A climactic end. A climactic end. A big, a big bang. Anybody ever go to a, a fireworks show? And... Uh, how many of you, like, can't wait for the grand finale, right? There was a, I actually read this story about a, a, an announcer that was in Arkansas, and uh, he didn't really understand what a grand finale was. You know, the fireworks show starts off, and it gets a, a few minutes into it, and he announces, okay, now for the grand finale, and everybody's like, grand finale, really? It's, this is a short show. There's only a couple minutes into it, and it goes on for another half an hour, and then all of a sudden the grand finale comes and it's, it's bang, bang, bang all over the place. And so he didn't really understand what a grand finale is. You know? Here's the thing. Do we understand what our grand finale is? Do we know what it is, that, what our prophetic vision, do we know what God is calling us into? This Christian life, when we, when we get saved and we think about it, that's a beginning. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new, Right? That's our start. But there's a grand finale to all of this. And let me say, we need to live for the grand finale each and every day. We're walking out our salvation and working out our salvation unto God with fear and trembling, right? Because we will stand before him in that climactic end when everything, when Jesus returns, right? The dead in Christ are raised first and the rest will be caught up to meet him in the air. This, this moment, this grand finale, when it takes place, the final climactic moment is that we're standing before the judgment seat of Christ. Right. And we're given an account for the way we lived our life. Did we live our life for the grand finale? Or did we get distracted with other things? Lose our prophetic vision. Lose the vision of the divine reality that's coming our way. And what happens is, is we end up in that final day and realizing we didn't live for that moment. So today as we finish the series, what I wanted to do is I wanted to look at the life of a biblical character. There's a few other folks around him, but, but ultimately uh, it's this one biblical character. His name is Elijah. Have you ever heard of Elijah? 
right? I'm not saying Elisha, I'm saying Elijah. You will see a little bit about Elisha in this, but this is really about Elijah and how he lived his life for the grand finale. He really lived his life for God. He had vision to be a man of God. We need to have vision to be men and women of God, to live our life and be directed by the Spirit of God. Wherever he, he uh, uh, guides us, we need to be willing to go where he's guiding us. Elijah was that kind of a man. He was willing to go wherever God sent him. It wasn't always pleasant. Can you say amen? If you know anything about the life of Elijah, it wasn't all fun and games. Amen? Let me give you a, a little glimpse of Elijah's life. Elijah lived with a sense of purpose and vision without question. His journey began with his training in Cherith. In Cherith, this is where God told him to go and, and that he would be uh, fed by the ravens and, and uh, he would receive water. There was a, a, a famine in the land. He's the one that prophesied that famine, uh, God's judgment, and, and God's going to sustain him uh, through the ravens and through this brook uh, at Cherith where he could drink from. And then all of a sudden, all of that dries up. He was further molded into the man of God that he was and, and refined at Zarephath. And we see him being that man of God, but God bringing him through that season. And that's where he met the widow of Zarephath. And I mean, the, the, see, you could see it as arrogance or boldness when a man of God asks you to, to take from your livelihood to give to the things of God, right? Well, it's like, well, what about me? See, the widow of Zarephath, when, when, he, when Elijah comes to her, he's put in that position that most preachers, most pastors, you know, uh, uh, leaders in the church are put in when they're saying, hey, you might be going through a hard time, but you know what? You're better off giving to God than you are holding back from God. You're better off being in covenant with God than holding on to the little bit that you think you've got. Honor him first. This is where, hey, come on now, Elijah comes to the widow, say widow, she doesn't have anybody taking care of her. And she's got, a, she's got a son. And she's out gathering up some sticks. And Elijah comes walking up because his brook dried up and the ravens stopped dropping off food for him. And he says, hey, listen, um, do you have anything to eat? Look, this is paraphrase. You need to go read the story. It's too long to put in the sermon as a whole. He says to her, do you have anything to eat? She goes, you know, I'm gathering these few sticks to go back and bake a, the last cake from the meal and a little bit of oil that I have for my son and I and then we're going to die boy that's hopeful huh <laughs> you ever felt that way it, it, we're just going to go die after that and here comes the arrogance of the preacher if you will well feed me first and then I promise you that you'll have more than enough to bring you basically through this famine for you and your son and for all of us because he's going to stay at our house I mean, kind of arrogant, huh? A little, just a little bit forward, inviting himself to come over to the house and hang it, right? Well, even while he's staying there, what happens is the widow's son later, she, uh, he dies. You know, something in the sovereignty of God is Elijah happens to be around. Widow was a little upset. You know, if you think about it, like, so I've taken care of you. All this has happened. The miracle of the, uh, of the supply it never went away. They made it, you know, through the famine, but her son died. And this is the little boy that Elijah prostrates himself on and raises him from the dead. Come on now. He's where God told him to be. And what, what does it lead to? It leads to the manifestation of miracles. Elijah's living for the grand finale, but while he's moving towards that grand finale in his life, 
there's a whole lot of God working in his life and others around him. Amen? We need to live for the grand finale because when we live for the grand finale, when we see that we have an end, and I want that end to be something that honors and glorifies God, what happens is, is the way that I live on my way to the grand finale looks a little bit different than everybody else around me. Amen? We bring hope to the people around us. It may seem sometimes people are like, well, that's awful forward to tell you that God will heal me or that God will bless me or, you know, I've gone through this and I've gone through that. But you're the one saying, you know, hey, look, God can, he can deliver you. He can, he can work in your situation. It's like, that's kind of arrogant. What, so God doesn't listen to me? You, you see what I'm saying? I don't care where the answer comes from if I need a miracle. For God's sake, Lord, let me listen to whoever you might send to me so that I can receive that miracle. Amen. <clears throat> Yeah, so yeah, he's there, and and uh, they come through the famine. He raises uh, her son from the dead, and then he was used uh, magnificently. If you think about it, on Mount Carmel, you remember Mount Carmel. Basically, he's up there. What he's done is he sent message to. Um, uh, if you think about it, he confronted Jezebel and Ahab because they were they were serving the prophets of Baal and and they weren't worshiping God and. And that's why the famine came that led him to the widow of Zarephath that, you know, led to all of a sudden he's on Mount Carmel. And what he does is because the famine's going to break, but it's not going to break before the prophets of Baal, false gods, are dealt with. And so what he does is he gives them an invitation. He invites the prophets of Baal to come out on Mount Carmel. Anybody know that story? Now we'll come out on Mount Carmel, 400 prophets of Baal and just little old Elijah. Do you ever feel like you're the only one out there witnessing for Jesus? You got good company where Elijah's concerned. He was that example of living for the grand finale. Everybody else is going this way, but he chose to go God's way. Amen? And so he's on Mount Carmel, and of course we know that he says, you know, split two heifers, you know, lay them out on it so you get a stone altar and lay them on the altar and uh, call on your God. And Elijah just kind of kicks back, and as the story goes, uh, the prophets of Baal, they're screaming and yelling and, oh, God, send, you know, and they're just crying out to Baal and cutting themselves, you know. Cutting's not a new thing for those of you that are, you know, have a kid that might be cutting themselves or you might be cutting yourself. Here's the thing. Cutting's not a new thing. It's a spiritual thing, mind you. Let that land where it will. It's a spiritual thing. There's nothing new under the sun. They're out there cutting themselves. Elijah's back there like, what, you God take a vacation or something? <laughs> that arrogant preacher. <laughs> right? He knows he's living for the grand finale, but these moments between here and there are vital to live for God. He could have gone the way of everybody else and had an easy life, but instead he's seen as a troublemaker. Why? Because he's bringing the message of God, and it goes so contrary to the message of the world. And what ends up happening is... is their God doesn't show up, and the, the, the standard that was set is the God, uh, he whose God answers by fire, right, is, is the Lord. He, so he lets him finish up, basically, and finally says, okay, that's enough. Now, now what I want you to do is not just is there an altar with these heifers, you know, that are split and laid out on there. Uh, I want you to actually take water and put water on it. So just let water all fill that whole area where the altar's at and soak all the offering the, the heifers that are all, soak it all, make it wet. Because the God who's got, the, 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 the one whose God is the Lord is going to answer by fire, right? So let's just water this down because it's going to have to literally 
be some serious fire to, to land on an offering that's soaked in water, right? And burn it up. And what we know is Elijah just prays and a fiery whirlwind comes down from heaven, lands on the altar and says it licked it up. It just altered everything. It took everything. It just water, offering, altar, everything. Stripped it bare. Burn it all up. And then what we know is, is that, uh, you know, uh, people knew that the one true God was the God of Elijah. Isn't that right? His journey... Um, without question, was moving toward a grand finale, though. He stood alone before a wicked king and queen. Finally, towards the end, God gave him a companion named Elisha. And, and Elisha walked with him. That companion wasn't just a companion, but he was going to be a successor. He was going to be one that, that received the anointing that rested upon Elijah, was going to be passed to another. And let me just say, it's not unlike how Jesus intended it to be for us is that the, the works that I've done, greater works shall you do. Isn't that what he declared upon the church? Greater works shall you do. So we see Elijah at his best and at his worst. We see him victorious, filled with God's power, and then we see him defeated, walking in fear and depression when he ran from Jezebel. He emerged out of nowhere as God's man of the hour to stand alone in the gap. Now he was sulking at one point and saying, I'm the only one, Lord, I'm the only one that stands for you. And he goes, look, I got, you know, 800 other prophets off in caves, and they're all hiding just like you are, Elijah, but, but I got more serving me. It's not just you. However, we do know and see that Elijah stood in that gap by himself. One man took on all the opposition, and God answers, and it, it turned the course of the nation of Israel. Amen. He has been heroic almost beyond belief, but yet still humble in heart. We see Elijah reach the pinnacle of his life experiences, but the grand finale is beyond our human comprehension. When that moment comes, it's, it's beyond human comprehension. Elijah is taken up in a fiery whirlwind, and he dodges death and leaves earth in a blaze of glory. He's one of two men that never tasted death. Enoch, who walked with God, he was and then he was no more, but he didn't taste death. And then Elijah, who's caught up in that whirlwind, uh, the same thing for him. He never tasted death. He was just caught up into heaven. Skipping death puts Elijah in that category of uh, a small category, if you will. And then there's a, the scripture gives us another glimpse of, of those that will will not taste death. And it's in Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, if you think about it, as I've already referenced, is there's a day coming when the Lord returns the dead, those that have gone on and died and, and are in the grave, they'll be caught up first. They'll be raised from the dead first. Then those that remain will simply be caught up in the twinkling of an eye. It'll be boom, they're raptured out of the earth and, and to be with the Lord forevermore, Amen. Uh, the remarkable part of Elijah's story is that he knew he was going to be taken up to heaven without dying. Elijah knew that it was going to happen. Now I want to, at this point, I want to read this passage of scripture that I'm going to break down for you a little bit in what I call the, uh, Elijah and Elisha's journey, that journey to the grand finale for Elijah, but how it has similarities for all of us. But I'm going to read through this 
whole passage of Scripture so you've got the big picture, and then we're going to break it down a little bit. Can you give me an amen? And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went to Elisha from Gilgal, or with Elijah from Gilgal. So Gilgal is the first place, underline that. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were uh, at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you not know? Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Elijah, stay here, please, for for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came came to Elijah and Elisha and said to him, do you not know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he answered, yes, I know, keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on, and 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance. So they're, they're out there, and they're looking out at where they're going to. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, that's his cloak, what he wore, struck the water, and it was divided this way and that, so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Sound familiar? You remember Moses and the children of, of Israel when they came out of Egypt and they go through the the Red Sea, and it parts, and they go across on dry ground. Does that sound familiar to you? And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what may I do for you before I am taking, taken from you? Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me, When I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened, as they continued on and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elijah saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen and its horsemen. So he saw him no more. And he took hold of his, of his own clothes and tore them into pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he, had also, when he, had, he also had struck the water, it divided this way and that And Elisha crossed over. Now, mind you, this happens where the 50 sons of the prophets are watching them as they come to the Jordan. Elijah strikes the water and it parts ways and they walk across on dry ground. The fiery chariot comes and and, and those prophets are out there and you got to look at it. Elisha comes strolling back and Elijah's not with him and he's got Elijah's clothes. Now, to understand the order of Old Testament that the, they would take the priests, the, the father's clothes, and they would be passed to the son. Elisha was a spiritual son. 
to Elijah. And what did he ask for? I want a double portion of the spirit that's upon your life. You've asked a hard thing, but if you see me when I go, you'll have it. Now, I want to kind of fast forward before I get into the, 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 the closing points of my message. I want you to, to look at for a moment. Here's Elisha, who's a son to Elijah, spiritually speaking, or, you know, his, his growth spiritually. He's a disciple, if you will, of Elijah. And he, wherever he goes, he's not willing to leave him. No matter where you go, I'm going. I want to ask, do we have that attitude in, in how we follow Jesus? Jesus, wherever you're going in my life, I want to go there. Because I'm living this life for the grand finale. You getting what I'm saying here? You understand Jesus' grand finale. You know, he's crucified, he's buried. His resurrection is a grand finale of his life here on earth. And it's for, it's for ultimately, our grand finale. But think about it this way. That when Christ is with them and he ascends into the heavens, right? He wraps up his time here on earth and he ascends into the heavens, seated at the right hand of the Father. And the disciples are staring up into heaven, looking for him. <laughs> and an angel appears, right, and says, what? Why do you stand here looking up into heaven? The same way that he is gone, he will return again. And basically, go. Now go do what he told you to do, right? Can you remember what they went and did? Anyone? They tarried somewhere. Can anybody tell me where they went? The upper room. And what we know is the day of Pentecost, what was it that came? Fire. Isn't that right? See, look, look at the pattern that you see with Elijah and Elisha, that they're going through water and all of a sudden fire comes. And Elijah's caught up, but what was it that Elisha caught? You getting me? He caught a double portion of the spirit that was upon him. So while fire was going up, there was also a fire coming down upon Elijah. How do we know that? Because when he went to the Jordan, it wasn't Elijah saying, where is the Lord God of Elijah? You know, there's a fire in that guy that, that watch this. And we know that he had a double portion because a record shows us that Elijah did seven amazing miracles while he was on the earth. And Elisha did 14. Well, he did 13. He did 13 miracles while he was alive. But his bones didn't go with His bones were in the grave. Isn't that right? And all we know is the final miracle, the 14th miracle for Elisha. Because here's the deal. What God promises, he's going to fulfill. <laughs> and all we know is that there was a, a, a couple guys that are carrying a body through the, through the graveyard, basically. And they see these um, uh, caravanners. They're like terrorists, basically, in the land. They'd come and kill people. And they see them, and they're like, oh, my God, they'll kill us. And they chuck this dude's body in Elisha's tomb. And next thing you know, the dude comes walking out there like, get me out of here. You know, it's like, comes to life. He just lands on his bones and there's enough anointing in Elisha's bones to raise a man from the dead. Amen. Hmm. So how do we get, or what's it look like to walk to our grand finale? What, what should it look like? What should that journey look like for us? It looks just like Elijah and Elisha's. From Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho to the Jordan, let me explain. Be willing to take the journey. Gilgal. Gilgal is the place where we overcome the flesh. Gilgal is the place we overcome the flesh. 2 Kings 2.1, and it came to pass when the Lord 
was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went to, or excuse me, with Elijah from Gilgal. So they were in Gilgal. To understand Gilgal, Gilgal was the place where when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, um, and the children of Israel were circumcised at Gilgal. Let me, let me read this to you then out of Philippians 3.3. 3. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ and who put, on no, who put no confidence in the flesh. It's, it's not the same for them. Their covenant was, was circumcision in the flesh. Ours is in the spirit, but it, the principle of it is this, is that we are in covenant with God and when we're in covenant with God and the Spirit of God's living on the inside of us, this journey we're on leading us to our grand finale does not look like the rest of the world. Amen? Speaking of that, when we come to Bethel, this is the place where we overcome the world. And the reason we overcome the world here is because Bethel is the place where Abraham, the father of our faith, come on now, Abraham's the original dude that sat down with God and said, I believe in you. God tells him to build an altar. Anybody know where he built that altar? He built it in Bethel. This is the place where we worship God and we overcome the world. That the world does not have, it does not hold us, but rather we are looking to God. And we're, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. We're, so, we're, we're on a journey through it. The, the Bible calls us sojourners. And we're journeying through here but I'm not really from here anymore. Amen. This world has nothing for me. My life is what it's meant to be, living for the grand finale, because I'm living it for Jesus and not for the world, amen? 2 Kings 2, 2 through 3, which we read. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elijah said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel, and, of course, now the sons of the prophets who were, were at Bethel came out to Elijah and said to him, do you, not, or do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, yes, I know. Keep silent. Here, here, the reason why I wanted to read that again, I'm not going to read all the others, but I'll make the point to it. But this is the thing about him saying keep silent. There's a lot of people, if you think about it, spiritually speaking, the sons of the prophets knew what was going to happen but they didn't understand it. They knew what was going to happen, but they didn't understand it. How do we know that? Because even as I read through that whole passage, we know that Elisha comes back. He parts the waters. He comes back across. And do you know what those sons of the prophets started saying to him? Like, where's he at? Where did Elijah go? Can we go look for him? It's like, well, he's been caught up in hell. Like, maybe God dropped his body out on the top of a mountain somewhere. Can we just go look for him? And Elijah's like, no, he's not out there. He's, he's with the, the Lord. Now, you know, and he, if I, finally, they made him feel so guilty. He's like, okay, go and look. Did they find him anywhere? Nope. Why? Because he had been caught up into heaven. See, that is the type of Christ. Listen to what John 5, 4 says with regard to overcoming the world. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Even what? Our faith. Abraham is the father of our faith. He's the first one. Bethel was where he set that altar. And all I got to say to all of us is this. Make sure you got an altar in your heart, right? Where you are worshiping God so he can cause your faith to rise 
so that you can overcome this world. Amen? Amen. And then Jericho. Jericho, number three, Jericho. This is where we overcome the enemy. We overcome the enemy. When you think about it, you guys remember the story of Jericho? The children of Israel marched around the outside, right? They're marching around. <laughs> and then all they got to do is give a shout, right? They're marching around doing what? They're marching around praising God. And I know it seems silly that I can sing songs and praise God, glorify God, and worship God. And, and, and interesting enough that, that God's the one that's going to deal with my problem. God's the one that's going to give me the power to overcome my enemy. Isn't that right? So, so, so watch this. Two kings, Elijah. So he goes on. I want to just read the first part of this. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. Same basic stories going on there, but they're heading to the next place. And, and what we know is we know that Jericho was that symbol of where the children of Israel first. This is, right? They're going to go into the promised land. Isn't that right? And this is where they have their first big battle. And did they really have a battle? Was it real hard for them? Why is that? It wasn't them that fought it. What they did is they praised God. Now imagine being somebody's enemy. And you're watching these folks march around your city praising God. And you're looking at them thinking, "Uh uh-huh. And that's supposed to do what? And on the final day, they just turn towards the the walls and they just give a big shout. "Uh Uh-huh. So what's that? And everything. The walls come collapsing down, right? Do you think that story, look, do you think the story of what God has done in your life, the miraculous things, the things you know that you couldn't overcome, the, the challenges, the enemies of your life, that when you've come to those moments and, and you know it's like, man, God was there. You know, I, I may not have realized he was there, but looking back, God was there. And I want to tell you that, that you want to live for the grand finale, having moments like that where you're glorifying God and, and, and helping to witness to others of what God could do in their life as well. Why? You know, the Bible says that the grand finale, if you will, that we're going to all be awarded a crown. Did you know that? You know, it references that in our crown for every person that we you know, witness to that, that, that may come to Christ as a result of our witness, it's a, it's a jewel in our crown. Now, interesting enough, in that climactic moment, that grand finale, even though we receive our crowns, you know what the Bible says we're going to do with our crowns? The Bible says we cast them at his feet. So for all the, all the, the, the um, accolades that we receive from the Lord, what happens is, is all we can do is bow, worship, bow, and, and cast those accolades back at his feet. Why? Because none of it is possible without him. We can defeat our enemy. We can defeat the devil. We can defeat temptations. We can overcome those things, but it's going to take God's power to do it. Amen. Listen to what Ephesians 6, 12 says. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. Getting that? So we already talked about overcoming the world, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms, there's that, that enemy. We have an enemy in, in heavenly realms. We've got a devil. There's demons. And they want to influence. And, and spiritually speaking, they want to manipulate. And uh, the demonic tutor I talk about, they want to talk us into living in a way that doesn't match up with the grand finale. 
right? We lose our vision. If you have no vision, no prophetic vision, if you lose sight of what God's saying and start listening to the demonic tutor, you start listening to those other things that are out there. There are so many voices in the world, the Bible says, and none of them without significance. There's significance to everything you're hearing. Is it misleading, you know, or is it a, a prophetic vision that's guiding you towards the finale that God intends you to have, amen? Make sure you use the, the spiritual weapons that you have. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, right? But we've been given spiritual weapons for the battle against the enemy. Prayer, the word of God that you hide in your heart, that you're able to, to, to speak to your situations, right? Remember how the, the disciples were facing the storm and Jesus is asleep in the bow of the boat? And they're thinking they're going to die. I, I referenced this last week. And they're, and they're like, we're going to perish. <laughs> and Jesus gets up and says, oh, you have little faith. So we're talking about faith for miracles, right? Jesus, oh, you have little faith. Peace, be still. <laughs> Storm's gone. I just got to tell you, I'd love to have been there for that. You know, it just, you know, can you imagine seeing that kind of moment where a storm's just raging like that, right? Anybody ever see the, the perfect storm, that movie, The Perfect Storm? Can you imagine something like that and Jesus walking out on the boat and like, peace, be still, boom, ocean becomes calm? Now, you got to admit, that would just like blow your mind, right? to see something like that. But I want you to know that Jesus wasn't joking. He wasn't fooling around. He wasn't kidding. You know, he wasn't playing when he said, greater work shall you do. It's just, where's our faith at? Not faith in faith, remember me saying that. Not faith in faith, but faith in Jesus. What is he able to do in our life, amen? And that leads me to the final one then, the Jordan, the Jordan. This is where we overcome death and we walk in the newness of life. Now, I'll just read the first part of this. You've got it in your notes, but I wanted you to have that. And then Elijah said to him, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. And this is what I'm saying. Like, focus on Jesus. We, I think we all, I, I, let me say this. I do. I know those moments when it's like, wait a minute, I think I done left Jesus, right? It's like, hey, Jesus, let's go this way, you know? Jesus is like, oh, uh, yeah, no. And I find out, like, I'm living for the grand finale. I need to stay close to Jesus. I need to go where he's at. As the Lord lives, as, my, as your soul lives, I will not leave you. I'm not going to leave you, Jesus. I want to stay close to you, right? He stays close to us. But when it comes to our purpose, when it comes to living that out, we need to be listening to him, amen? Man shall not live by what? Bread alone, but by every word that proceeds. I want guidance and direction from God. Why? Because when I do what he tells me to do, do you remember the children of Israel were told to cross the Jordan? Remember that? that that's really, the promised land lied beyond the Jordan River. You with me? Your promises lie beyond, beyond your Jordan, Right? On this side, they die, they perish. On that side, they live. They live in the fullness of what God promised them. On this side, here's the thing, miracles are great. God's provision is great, but he has given us the power to walk. In other words, God divinely showing up and just doing something and you didn't have anything to do with it. Don't you love that? But we don't grow up that way. You know, anybody that's raised kids understands, like me doing everything for my kid when they're an infant and, te- you know, this is how you do this and this is how you do this and this is how you walk in this and this is, right? 
But am I looking at like, hey, when you're 16, you're acting like a two-year-old? You hearing me here? God does expect us to grow up in, his, in, the, in the things of his word, to have discipline and to follow him and to, to call upon him, right, for prophetic vision before we start going off in a direction that we're just going to find out we got to turn back from and start all over. Amen? We want to get direction from him before we go. They had direction from God and weren't willing to go. Anybody know what happened? There was a bunch of spies that went in, right? They spied out the land. Ten of them are like, man, there's giants over there. We just can't, we can't do it. Didn't God tell them they could do it? Uh, we got enemies over there that we can't conquer, right? Oh, yes, you can. When God tells you to go, you go. And where he tells you to go, he's going to go before you, and he's also going to be your rear guard. Isn't that right? He's going to protect you. But you need to have faith in what he tells you to do. Not faith in faith, faith in God. Amen? They cross over into the promised land there. Listen to what Romans 6, 3 through 5 says. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Here's that death, but for what purpose? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. One day, so at the grand finale, we start to live a new life? No. At the point of our death, we start to live a new life. We've watched the last, you know, in the last few weeks, a couple baptisms where we see some children taking that step to, you know, to be baptized, to lay down the old man and and come up and walk in the new and living way, right? That's what that is. Now, let me read on there. Um, the glory of the Father. For if we have been unified, or excuse me, uni- united, King James keeps wanting to come out, man, uh, been united with him in death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. You see that? See, I, so, so it's to understand that we're walking in the newness of life, and though this body may be laid down there is resurrection life that we come into. And, and, and the interesting part is the Bible says that, that in this flesh, like when we die, when we believe in the Lord, if you die in the Lord, that's meaning if you die with faith in the Lord, that you don't feel the sting of death. You just, you're, yeah, you're dying. There's suffering and there, there might be some, some challenges that you feel while, while this body's being laid down. But when you cross over, there's no sting to death. You actually, it's, it's like you go to sleep. That's why Thessalonians says, 1 Thessalonians says, the dead in Christ will rise first, and those that will rem- re- who remain will be caught up. There's a resurrection from the dead, and then there's the catching up of those who are still alive in this mortal flesh. But ultimately what it comes down to, everybody, right? Everybody's on this journey to the grand finale. Question is, what will that moment look like for you? We know what it looked like for Elijah. We even know for Elisha. We read those stories and we see that, but nobody's written our story. We're still writing it. What will your grand finale look like? And what will the journey on the way to your grand finale look like? What, who will your testimony, just like this testimony, it touches my heart to think about the, the boldness. I, I remember 
You know, the first time that I encountered where people were asking me to do something that was the opposite of what my carnal mind told me to do, but this is what the Bible said. And it's like, well, if the Bible says it, I'm just going to do what the Bible says and then see God show up in that situation. And it's like, wait a second here. That's not, that's not normal. That ain't natural. No, it's not. It's supernatural. And the only way you get over there, the only way you get to that dimension of things is, is by trusting what God says rather than what you think. And for all of us, if we can see that there's a final moment, that grand finale, what, living with the end in mind, right? When I live with the end in mind, I'm more concerned about what are my decisions here? And what will they lead me to over here? And so what am I doing? I'm weighing my cost. Each step I take, every thought I think, all of a sudden I start weighing that cost and, and, and bringing all those things before the Lord. And it leads me to one, one place, and that's to ask him what he has to say about my situation, what he has to say where I'm at right now. And what's that doing? That's inviting a prophetic revelation. And I promise you, if you do that with God and you hear his voice, you have no lack of vision for where he wants you to go. Amen. So let me pray with you. And then Brittany's going to come. She's got an announcement for our parents here today. So would, would you just do me a favor? I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. Oh, Father, we love you. We love you. Just do me a favor. Just stretch your hands out to heaven. Close your eyes. Open your ears, your spiritual ears. I want to pray, Father, right now in the name of Jesus. I pray every single one of your people that God, each of us, would have ears to hear what your spirit is speaking to your church. Your word says that we are the church. So, Father, may we hear what the spirit speaks to us. May we become clear, Father God, about our direction in life. May we not be confused about where we're going. Father, may we check in with you on a regular basis. Because your, your word declares that your sheep hear your voice. So, Father, may we want to hear your voice as often as you would like to speak to us. And, Father, may we see it as the most important communication that we have in our life for where we're going, living our life for the grand finale. We love you. We bless you in Jesus' mighty name. Everyone said... Amen. Let Brittany come and share this announcement real quick, and then they'll lead us in a final course.